from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. As you sent your son in the world to save us, send your spirit now through your word and my words that you might continually turn our hearts to him and make us more like him. In Jesus' name. Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper is a classic tale of two opposite people or opposite places in life trading places. And it was Twain's first venture into historical fiction. Prince Edward, that would be who grew up to be King Edward VI, son of Henry VIII, and then Tom Canty, obviously, He's uh, Prince Edward's the rich boy. Tom Canty is the poor boy from a family of beggars. And these two young boys, born on the same day, looked the same. And Tom always aspired to a better life. So one day he was loitering around the palace gates where he has a fortunate meeting with Edward. And they realize they, they look like each other. They're the same age and, and become friends. And then they secretly trade places in life, switching clothes and switching lives. So Edward becomes Tom and Tom becomes Prince Edward. And Edward experiences the harsh realities of life. And he sees many of the injustices that poor people in his day face. And, and he even spent some time in prison. And so then Edward vows that when someday when he will be king, he will right some of the wrongs that he's seen. Well, meanwhile, Tom then lives this lavish life of a prince trying to pretend that he knows court customs and manners. However, if you know the story or know history, Edward was only nine when King Henry VIII dies. And so Edward becomes the rightful king, except Tom, in the story, is living as him. And everyone believes Edward to be this beggar, so he has to try to convince people that he is the rightful king. And even at one point, Edward declares to this gang of thieves that he is the, the true king, but they think he is insane, and so they hold a mock coronation for him. Well, in the end, Edward is able to make... Uh, take his rightful place and make the case and, and people realize that he is Tom's life, even though Edward himself doesn't live that long. Well, today, as I told you, we look at the baptism of Jesus. This is the first public thing we see Jesus do. It's where his public ministry begins. So last week, as I said, Jesus is a, a toddler being visited by these strange guys from far away, bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh and worshiping this child. This child that we are already told in Matthew 1 that, that his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And yet Jesus grows up living a very normal life learning all the things you and I had to learn when we grew up, learning language, learn, learning skills from mom and dad. And, and there's nothing particularly notable about Jesus growing up except that one story we have in Luke about Jesus in the temple at age 12. Other than that, normal, regular guy, not worth talking much about until now. John the Baptist has been out in the wilderness of Judea growing this, you know, 
really long beard and eating locusts and being weird out there and, and preaching fire and brimstone, repent for the kingdom of God is here and everybody's been coming. Matthew says, you know, all of Jerusalem's been going out to see him. They've been walking the, the dusty hot miles down to see him at the Jordan River and so goes Jesus. Jesus makes this long trek, it says, from Galilee all the way down to find John. And the walking paths are, are well-worn by others who have made the pilgrimage. But why Jesus? Doesn't it strike you at least a little weird? Now, it was, in fact, common for Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish in that day underwent a sort of baptismal uh, cleansing ritual. That was common, but Jewish people didn't do that. Why not? Well, we're children of Abraham. We, we are God's people by our DNA. We don't need to be washed and clean. And John says to them, not so fast, you too need to repent and confess and be washed. And so people are, they're coming to John, confessing their sins and being baptized. And Jesus goes too. Do you see how weird it is? Why would Jesus join the crowd of people going to John? Why would, why would Jesus get into the confessional line and sit in the you know, confessional box or, or water with John? Why would Jesus stand next to and consider who else is going to be going to confess their sins? Who has real sins, public sins to confess? Why would Jesus go and stand in line and in a crowd next to thieves and tax collectors and prostitutes and cheats? Why? Because they might mistake Jesus for one of them. So can you see why John protests now in verse 14? Says, no, 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 Jesus, you should not be here. And in fact, I should be baptized by you. If anyone between the two of us needs to confess, John already knows who Jesus is. If anybody, you know, I should be baptized by you and you come to me. No, 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 no. But then Jesus says, well, no, let it happen. For it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John kind of says, well, I, I, I guess so. It says, then he consented. Like, I don't really want to do this, but. I'll trust you, Jesus. If you say so, I, I guess so. And then there, Jesus stood in the middle of a giant crowd of sinners, confessing and repenting and seeking forgiveness, and there, Jesus was baptized. And then you see that, that moment we read about where, where the Spirit descends like a dove and, and the voice of the Father booms, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need forgiveness. What Jesus not needed but wanted, Jesus wanted to trade places with you so that you could trade places with him. Jesus joins you in your life so that you might join Jesus in his So the ultimate prince became a pauper so that us paupers could be treated like princes. Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection was Jesus trading places with you so that you could trade places with him. Jesus joins you in your life so that you might be joined with him in his. 
See what that means? That means exactly, thank you, Scott, what, what he said. Jesus took on all of your life. So whatever has happened to you has happened to Jesus. And whatever has happened to Jesus and whatever he did, it has happened to you. So whatever has happened to you, it, Jesus has been through it and Jesus knows. So that means every pain that you've been through, Jesus knows. He's felt it. Every loss, every death you've grieved, Jesus knows. And he's felt it. And he enters it with you. If you scour through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of, of all the, you might say, hard things Jesus felt or experienced, sufferings, you can come up with quite a list. Here's just a few. Jesus was homeless. Matthew 8 talks about that, not having a place to lay his head. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Jesus' best friends turned their back on him at his crucifixion or right before. Jesus probably knew the pain of losing a parent. There's no record of Joseph later on, so most people think he, was, he died by the time his ministry began. One of Jesus' closest friends sold him out for a little bit of pocket change. Jesus stood face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the devil right after this story. Jesus dealt with death, and he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus endured gossip and slander and people talking falsely about him. Jesus endured suffering for doing what was right. Jesus was shamed publicly. He endured periods of hunger. He received criticism for his ministry, for his work, for what he did. His theology was mocked, his message rejected, even his preaching was critiqued, and a whole lot more. But if you've ever experienced anyone or something close to any of those, Jesus has too. Which means whatever you've been through, or whatever you will go through, or whatever you're in the middle of, Jesus joins you right there. He sits next to you this morning. He sits next to you at the dinner table or, or next to you as you drive. He, he takes on your life. He takes on your, takes on your sin and your death. As John says, the word became flesh. As God came near, it isn't that God came to save by waving a magic wand from heaven and sprinkling some dust over earth and make it all better. No, God puts on your socks, your shoes, and your life. You see, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. You do. Jesus doesn't need to confess his sins. I do. Jesus doesn't deserve to be punished for his sins. I do and you do. Which is why the gospel is good news. It's good news. It just is. This is what happened. This is what God has done for you. Here it is. Free of charge because it was not free to Jesus. And no other religion comes even close to claiming this, that God became human in order to feel your pain and to save you in your place. And particularly the claim of Jesus being God itself is the major sticking point, or one of, between both modern Judaism and Islam and Christianity. You see, in Islam, they just can't, just can't fathom that the ultimate God would denigrate himself to becoming a human being, let alone a human being who could be mistreated and abused. 
which, by the way, read up on it. That's why Islam also teaches that Jesus wasn't crucified. Who was? A last-minute stunt double. Why? Because God, and this is the true answer, why? Because God would never let a great prophet like Jesus be mistreated like that. You see, the idea of God's suffering is just too much to so many. For God to suffer, he would have to make himself vulnerable to people far, far, far below him. It's just too much, unless it's true. And if it's true, it, it's life-changing. But it's not just the fact that God experienced suffering, which he does, and he experiences all of yours with you. But it's that God suffered what you and I deserved. God suffered for you, traded places with you so that you could trade places with him. Jesus takes your place, the place of a repenting sinner at the edge of the Jordan River, wanting washing, wanting forgiveness, wanting new life. And as Jesus goes into the water, it's as if he collects your sins and my sins and comes up carrying the weight of the sin of the world and all of its brokenness and all of its pain and then carries it all the way through his ministry, all the way to the cross. And on the cross there, Jesus, like the prince and the pauper, was mockingly coronated with a crown of thorns. And on the cross, your sin dies there, your pain dies there, your death even dies there, and your new life begins. Jesus takes your place so that you can have his. Because you are baptized into Christ, your heavenly father looks at you every day, every morning and says, my son, my daughter, with you I am well pleased. 